0: Hey, everybody, Seth Levitt here, one half of the Fish Tank podcast. And while OJ McDuffie and I could not be any more excited for the 2022 Miami Dolphins team, you know we also love to look back and wax nostalgic. Yes, Travis, we are the old guys in the room. We get it. We get it. Anyway, we're going to move forward here. And with all of this, we have spent a lot of time recently on Twitter at the Fish Tank 81 reflecting upon our all-time favorite episodes here in the tank and we figured we would bring you back a great one ricky williams that's right ricky joined us in may of 2020 and he was every bit as electrifying and entertaining in the tank as he was on the field so if you've heard this episode before relive the greatness with us and if you're new to the family we have no doubt that this will be exactly what you've been looking for so dive in Enjoy a conversation with Ricky Williams. And Solo D, tell him where we're at.
1: You're now diving into the fish tank. Dive up in that fish tank. Who that? Huh. Sitting down with Seth Living. Seth, OJ, Juice, Juice man, Ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. dog fans. Number one. one, of course, y'all, this ain't an ordinary sports talk. Never been that fish
0: tank. Welcome back to the fish tank right here in the Miami yeah, Dolphins time. Podcast Dive Network. Seth Levitt with my main man, OJ McDuffie. Juice, how you feeling today? What's
1: up, big
2: Seth?
0: Loving life today. Preach, everything's good? Everything's good, man. Uh, well, we got a little sneak peek behind you there of today's guest. Juice, the people have spoken.
2: Right. And the man answered.
0: I, I, we had to call. It was like trying to get in touch with a president, or I had to go through PR guys and trying numbers that I didn't know if they still worked, and checking the last time I oh. responded to a text. But we found him, Ricky Williams. Run, Ricky, run! Right into the tank. How you doing, Rick?
3: I'm great. I'm awesome. so I, I'm I'm really loving loving life right now. No, there's a lot of difficult things going on, but I've really taken the opportunity to go inwards and work on myself.
0: That's what's it's kind up. of a common theme forever with you, man. You've always been that kind of guy.
2: <laughs> but now I have a good excuse.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: fair. That's fair. You know, our dub you know, Seth and I, you know, we're, we're talking before the show about, you know, how we feel a lot of pressure with this one. There's a lot of pressure coming because, you know, when you were in Miami, you held some of the reporters up to really high standard down here in Miami. <laughs> and you even <laughs> called some of them out for grass and lazy ass questions, you know? so. <laughs> yes, yes. We're going to take the easy road. We're going to take the easy road. We're going to go and talk a little bit more about your personal endeavors, you know, including your new project, Leela. And what we want to do first is just talk about what a day in the life of Ricky Williams is these days. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with you.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, so I'll go, I'll say like pre-corona stuff, and then I'll kind of talk about what's going on now. So before all this went down, after I left Miami, I kind of piddled around trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do with my life after football? And My mom kept nagging me to go back to school. She kept saying, you know, you told me you would graduate. And so I said, fine, I'll go back to school. And so, and plus I had started coaching and in order to take coaching to the next level, I needed to get my degree. And so I said, I'll just go back to school. So went back to Texas and within two weeks of being back in class, you know, I realized that, damn, this is fun. You know, I I I could I could do this for a long time, and I really really got into school and really started to appreciate the opportunity that I totally missed the first time around. About the the access to brilliant minds, and I would grew up a little bit playing football, so I had a better idea of what do I want to do with my life. And realizing I have access to these brilliant minds to help, you know, build up my mind and and set me on the right path. So I went back to Texas and I had a blast and I learned so much and I realized you know I want to go to the next level and get a, get a master's degree or a PhD and so wow. after I finally finally graduated from Texas I uh, found a Chinese medicine uh, acupuncture program uh, out in LA and I moved to LA and started uh, going to school uh, getting a master's degree and at the same time uh, I have a deep interest in in psychology and so I I started a, another at the same time another master's degree in psychology um and i i <laughs> and i started a an herbal wellness company and just recently announced that i'm launching a, a dating app and i'm an astrologer so i, I have my own personal practice and so <laughs> i'm this is really busy and you know it was funny a couple of months ago i was telling myself like i, I love all the things that i'm doing But I could really use a couple minutes to take a couple deep breaths and slow down a little bit. What do you, what do you do in your spare time? (laughs) (laughs) I, I study. I mean, I'm a really a big, I'm really a big nerd. And and I think this is a, and I'm I'm sure OJ can speak to this. This is a big issue that when you're a professional football player, like it requires a lot of energy and a lot of focus to go through a season. And so. I'm like a singular
0: thing, right, Rick?
3: Yeah. So we, so we have this, we have all this energy that we're used to putting towards something. And when we're done playing, you know, we gotta, for at least for me, I had to keep finding things to put that energy towards. Right. And I had to keep being productive. And it, it's hard because, you know, I was one of the best football players in the world and having to start over at ground zero of, of trying to build myself with something else. Cause we have a hunger for greatness, you know? And so I'm, I'm feel so fortunate that I found enough things to, to devote myself to where I can continue to work towards excellence. And uh and help my life stay meaningful. And so since past couple of months I took this time to really, you know, reinvigorate my uh my daily meditation practice and to focus on Leela, you know, and uh a chance to to catch up on my reading. You know, when you're only doing things for school, you lose the appreciation of of actually learning something. And so being able to use this time to, to slow down and go back over all the stuff that I've been studying the past couple of years and get ready because when this is all over, you know, we're all going to have an opportunity to start anew. And, and so I'm looking forward to to new beginnings.
0: Yeah. When you say that, Ricky, and you, you know, you said you feel like you found enough things, but is it really enough? I, I know the way your <laughs> mind works and, you, you know, photography, and then it was this and that. And, and when I say that, I think some people like can't ever find themselves and they go to one thing and the next and the next, I feel like everything you take, it becomes a part of you. So it's not like you take on photography and then that's the flavor of the month and then it's gone from your life. Like that will always be, you'll always be a photographer, but now you'll always be an astrologer. So
3: it's just wild that you just keep accumulating. these you know, yeah, photography. You know, there are some things that that work in one sense, we're fads, but in another sense, I have a, I have a greater appreciation for, for photography and photographers. And I look at the world now as a, you know, partially as a photographer. And so, you know, I'm not taking as many pictures as I was before, but that experience and those, those several years of really focusing on it really added to, to the depth of, of who I am as a person.
2: Yeah, literally. When I'm, through a different
3: lens, right? Literally. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's a great, that's a great <laughs> metaphor. And but you know now I I feel like you know studying, you know meditation and yoga and these are things that you can do for the rest of your life and, and you can keep getting better at and keep seeing rewards from it. And so I feel like I found things to to study and, and to do that are, are going to be able to be rewarding for the rest of my life. And also more importantly, they give me the ability to give back and meaningful
0: ways. That is awesome. I almost hate to shift gears, you know, and then actually go into football. But, you know, because we do like to talk Dolphins, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your football journey. The challenge we had was your journey is so rich and so decorated. It was kind of, you know, we couldn't talk about everything because I don't know that you have that much time to give. So, so obviously it makes sense for us, given the nature of this podcast and how we all know you, is to go back to 2002. And, yeah. you know, the Dolphins pull off this mega trade with the Saints uh, and it brings you here to South Florida and we'll get to the football part of that. But talk about what that experience was like for you just as a person who the, the idea of, you know, everything that happened that the Saints gave up to get you to that franchise. And three years later, you're being traded. You're going to a new city. It's, it's a fresh start you're landing here in South Florida and all the different things that come with the South Florida lifestyle. I know you and I would always talk about being a Dave guy versus a Broward guy. Yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> Ricky, by the way, juice Ricky and Sh- he had a three Oh five number. He was, he was living in Fort Lauderdale, but he said, I'm not getting an- I'm a three Oh five guy, regardless of where my address is. But just what was that like hmm. for you as a person, the football stuff is, is easy. And yeah. can talk- he's breaking another yeah. one, by the way,
3: behind you preach, but well, you know, what, what was that experience <laughs> like for you? You know, it, it, it's one of my favorite things to talk about that I don't ever really get a chance to talk about because uh, I was at Crossroads in my life, 2002. And first three years in New Orleans were a lot of injuries, um, a new coach. It, it was rough, um, but but I learned to really love the city. And I literally literally had, had gotten to the point where I made a decision that football wasn't a big deal for me as a saint, that I was going to more focus my my energy into using the platform as a football player to become more involved in the community in New Orleans. I was in my mind, I was thinking maybe going into politics and because, you know, the, the Saints had drafted Deuce McAllister the year before and you know, so I, I could see the writing on the wall. So I was like, it's not a big deal. And around that time, I was going to the Bahamas to, um, was a paid gig for the Super Bowl 2000, it was 2002. And on in the airport, Uh, on the way to the Bahamas, I ran into Dave Wonstead in the airport and with, and his wife. And we sat down, you know, I was like, Hey, and we had a conversation. And I think in that moment, he saw that I was a real person and, you know, a kind person or whatever. He got a, a real life impression instead of what he'd heard about me. And, you know, a couple months later, I got a call from, um, from Randy Mueller, the GM of the Saints telling me that there's a trade had been, uh, executed and i was going to miami and it ruined my my plans for politics in new orleans but <laughs> but I, you know at the, t- at the time uh Dan Libitar was probably my you know best friend in the world and i had spent some time with dan in miami and so it was exciting uh, i was and it was a, a team that had a winning tradition unlike the saints the team that had an amazing amazing defense I'd known Zach a little bit from from Tech, and through Zach, I, I hung out with him and JT. And when I was in college in Miami, and so I knew some people on the team, and I was excited for the opportunity. And as soon as I got to Miami, and and I saw that I was, I felt like I was a missing piece to to a really amazing team. I felt like I was home, and embracing the lifestyle in Miami. I mean, goodness gracious, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but smile. I mean, it just felt like like all the, the three difficult years in New Orleans that it was all the penance I had to pay to have this wonderful opportunity to show up in, in Miami. And it just, it so many little things just clicked, you know? My my relationship with John Gamble. I, there's just so much, Joel Collier, there's so many amazing pieces of the puzzle that everything just came together in 2002 with the, the trade end.
2: Yeah. You know, and let's talk about that a little bit, you know, how everything clicked, you know, on the field, we have to talk about it some man, because you brought some shit down here, man. We, we've never seen before, <laughs> you know, over 1800 yards, rushing, 16 up ins, you know what I mean? What made everything click? Why do you think everything, the, the comfort, the, the comfort level, feeling more at home, feeling appreciated. What what made it click so much for you?
3: Yeah. I, I think it. It's match and fit, you know, and and I think you can have a great a great football player go to a, a a program where there's not a match or a fit, and there's no magic. You can have a mediocre player go somewhere where there's just they click in and they make it to the Pro Bowl. And I just think the the mentality of the Miami Dolphins at that time, they were a physical team and and they played defense, and that fit. That, and even the way they play defense, that just fit right into, into who I was as a football player. And the fact that Norb Turner, who I think is probably the, the greatest mind when it comes to, to, to scheming an offensive run game. And also his ability to, to get into a rhythm of what his running backs like to run and calling plays. And, and then the way, you know, JT Zach and that whole defense just called that year. It just so many different things just came together at the at the right time.
0: Yeah, we're seeing some of them behind pre share It was a special season. And it was a I say special season. Uh, you know, I worked both seasons. Your first two seasons there, and they were special. And it's funny, you just mentioned Joel Collier, and I knew you guys had a unique relationship. And Joel, you know, it's funny, Juice. If you Ricky was not the quote unquote average football player, he was a different kind of guy. Joel probably was not the average football coach. <laughs> real cerebral and different kind of personality and, and human in a lot of ways, not to disparage other coaches, but uh, you know, there, there's a singular focus there uh, sometimes required from the job. And so you guys obviously have a unique relationship, but Joel one day he and I were having a conversation about you and, and talking about your play. But he said, man, do you know how smart Ricky is? I said, well, yeah, I've gotten pretty close with him. He's a really smart guy. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. So there's kind of an urban legend that you have a photographic memory. And I don't know if Joel started that, or I don't know if it's fact, but Joel said, Seth, he has never brought a pencil or a sheet of paper into a meeting. He sits there. He goes the first couple of weeks, I was a little concerned. He has not had a mental bust yet this season. He has, you know, and, and so, like, is that real? Is that something that you know? I, I know you like the mystery of Ricky and all those things, but I mean, do
3: you have a photographic memory? Have you I think, always? I has think that so. always been your? I think so. I, I know. I, I think part of it is a photographic memory, but part of it, and I think it's, it's lost on people is how much i i respect and love the game of football and, and you know when i played even still i catch myself i think about it all the time and so it's not like i just show up to the training facility and like start thinking about it it's you know if we're if we're playing the, the patriots i'm thinking about you know richard seymour and and teddy brewski and and you know, lawyer, Malloy, whoever the state, Harrison, whoever the safety, I'm thinking about that all the time. And so when I get into the meeting and I hear the coaches approach and their game plan, I'm trying to like vibe with it. So that when I get in the game, I'm able to, to make the most of my, my opportunities. And so I just think, and I have a good memory because I'm, I love it and I'm engaged in it. And I, I want this information.
0: It's gotta be and more than that though, man. Like these things I love, but I got to write some shit down every now and then Ricky.
3: So, you know, and, and <laughs> so sometimes- I, I do, I do have a, I, I do have a photographic memory. I do.
0: Yeah. Well, there it is. There it is.
3: You have to. You have to love. You have to love what you're doing. No doubt. And I, and I, I hate I, making I, mistakes. I hate making mistakes. Like my <laughs> my goal every game was to play the perfect game. And, and yeah, I'm great out in the '90s, but always looking for that perfect game. Never never got it, but always tried.
0: That's so cool. And so, uh, and this I had this in the notes later, but you brought up uh, the fact that what is often lost uh, from people is how much you really loved the game of football. I think sometimes people, it was in a lot of ways ignorant or it was as low hanging fruit and kind of a lazy thought that, that you didn't love the game or that other things were more important or, you know, for all the, right, all the things that we could go into later here, whether the way you retired the first time or that you had all these outside interests that football players aren't supposed to have interests beyond football. And and I remember, and I'm going to come back to this again later, but I remember when you did first come back and you had a charity event and um and this was after after the 2004 season you were off and you, you had a big charity event i don't forget where it was it was some hotel in miami and kind of like trying to get in touch with you man i showed up and i had to like give my social security number and <laughs> did all this and and floyd had to like walk me up to the room but i went up and i i saw you in your room and, and we were out on the balcony i don't know if you remember this conversation and you said one of the things that really hurt you was the fact that people not that you were talented but your passion for approaching the game and playing the game the right way and how hard you practice and how how much every play mattered to you that that folks never seem to understand that and so to hear you say that it kind of brings me back to that moment
3: well i think there's an assumption and i it is partially true that to be in the nfl and especially to be you know one of the best players that you have to have natural born ability and yes but but I think my my greatest natural born gift is my attention to detail and and yeah I'm, I'm you know i was big and I and I can accelerate and 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 I have you know a, a, a bruising kind of attitude but I think to make to get the most out of those things I think I had to, it was the attention to detail and and the fact that I that I cared and and again it's 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 about love and and I had a love for the game I had a love for my teammates I had a respect for just the magic of so many guys getting together and having to be on the same page to execute something and i think we we train so hard and we do it so well that i think it, it doesn't commit, i don't think the fans can appreciate like how difficult it is to get 11 guys on the same page you know and and there's a the magic that happens in a season when you start clicking and everything is just working right there's not there's nothing like it. And, and and so part of my love for the game was the love for those special moments when everyone is on the same page and things are just clicking. I was fortunate enough in, in Miami that we were a, a defensive team, you know, <laughs> that had a running back. And uh <laughs> and that was the mentality at least of of Dave. But that I got to be the I got to be the star of the symphony, you know, I got to be the lead singer for and that you don't see that very much, especially now from the running back position. And so you know I reflect on, on 2002, it's, it's tragic, it was tragic the way it ended, but I reflect on what we what we did accomplish, and it's it's amazing, it's wonderful.
2: Yeah, Eric, you know, and there's every guy on the roster in 02, 03, you know, they probably have amazing and crazy stories and good stories about Ricky Williams, but you, you mentioned a couple guys that you played with as well that may have had an impact on you too. Who were some of the guys, you talk about JT and Zach and those guys, who are those guys? And tell me what impact they might've had on you and why they had such an impact.
3: You know, I think the person who had the biggest
2: impact on me was Jamie Nails. Big Nails. (laughs) Big Nails. (laughs) Yeah, man, I can see you and Big Nails running down the sideline right now with your your hand (laughs) on the back, man. That was great stuff.
3: No, just, you know, just his attitude. Like he just came to work every day and and it was fun. You know, and and as hard as we work to be with guys that are out there having fun, to me, that, that's what it's all about. Uh, and I, I could go through the whole offense and I, I just think when it's, when an offense is that successful and everyone, everyone is care everyone cares about each other. Um, you know, Ray Lucas, like, inspiring, you know, he came in in a couple rough starts and then he got, he got in his groove and, and he was playing great football, you know, Chris Chambers, just making magic, man. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> One of the most, Kindest, talented, you know, and he made it look so easy. You know, it made it look yeah. so easy. Tim Ruddy, you know, going over his house, you know, meeting his kids, having dinner with his, just, we just had a bunch of good guys that enjoyed playing football together. And the defensive guys, just their attitude and the way they played defense, that had an impact on us. You know, we knew no matter what happened, they were going to go out there and get a stop.
1: It was Dude, like was what
3: I loved about Miami, it was success was expected. It just was, we, we breathed it. It just was the expectation, the way we did
2: everything, that we were going to be successful. That's one of my favorite seasons, right there, man. You know, as, as, after I retired, you know, sitting. First of all, the trade itself. The trade itself, getting our dub on the team. honestly, we just I, I thought that was a dream. There's no way that was really happening. we were getting our dub on the team, and then that put our dub with that defense. I mean, that was that was some fun shit for me, man. That was. I look back at that as a fan, and I had season, I had season tickets in the first row. You know, what I mean, you was running into my end zone a lot. You know, I, <laughs> I love that shit so much. Man, that was good stuff, bro. Those were good times. And you know, we talk about all, I,
0: a lot of oscillation here between on and off the field, Ricky. And and one of the things that was very early uh, apparent to me, and certainly wasn't some new revelation that I came up with, but you are truly an individual. You know, you embrace your individuality. You're unapologetically Ricky. Um, and a lot of folks like to judge you in different ways, and that never. St- you, you might've been bothered from time to time, but it never stopped you from being you. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, that was a tough pill for, for people to swallow. What I'm wondering is how much was it, uh, A, how much was it a challenge for you to hang on to that individuality in this world where, you know, you kind of use another analogy, but that's an environment that's probably more about making machines than works of art, you know, in, in, yeah. in, the, in the football world. So how hard was it for you to hang on to that individuality? And then the second part of the question is, do you think that today's NFL is more accepting of individuality than the one you played in
3: almost 20 years ago? I mean, they let them dance now. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. <laughs> no, of course. Of course, it's more accepting. You know, when, when I, my, my one year, my last year in Baltimore, and I'm very grateful for that year because it was around a, a veteran organization, you know, uh, with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed there and, and, and Arbaugh, just a, a good, really a player's coach. And I remember one meeting. It was before um, before a game, and he said, he said, you know, my message to all of you guys is to let your light shine. And that organization, they really they really pushed the guys to be individuals, and they realized that if we have a bunch of individuals working together as a team, we're going to be better than if we if we're a machine. And so, was it hard to hold on to it? It it wasn't hard to hold on to it because I I didn't I knew that being trying to be someone else didn't work and i was talented enough that i was given the space to to be an individual which made it easier um what was difficult was not being appreciated by people you know mm-hmm. i, I was my teammates and the, the people who saw the way that i worked and, and took the time to get to know me and understand me as much as they could they appreciated me you know <laughs> but it it was difficult you know sometimes with the media and i i even think for the most part i think fans appreciated me but i, I just think sometimes I, you know i didn't that's the whole thing about being an individual right is if someone's an individual, it takes time to to learn to appreciate them If someone is a machine, it's easy to appreciate them because there's something familiar about it and so I just think the, the burden of of being someone who's an individual and being ahead of your time is that you're not going to be appreciated until later and and I'm starting to experience that now, and it's it's worth it. You know? It's, it's worth it. it now? It was it was hard. It was hard <laughs> as hell. It was it was it was challenging. It was it was difficult. But I, I think when you're young, you know, you have the energy to, to to create and deal with so much drama. And and I look at my time in Miami and I grew up so much. You know, I have so much gratitude for all the people that I've met and it, I just feel so fortunate that I got to grow up so much in such a special place, you know. And just, you know, just seeing how, how the, the retired players, the former players are still so much a part of the community. and it, it truly feels like a family. And every time I'm, I'm back in Miami and doing anything connected to the Dolphins, I, I feel that, that family feeling. It's wonderful.
0: That's awesome. It is. That is awesome. The Dolphins do. It. And, Juice, you know, uh, you're know, very involved with the alumni and that. And and, um, but the Dolphins do a great job with what, for you to say that and acknowledge that. And you hear so many players say that, and especially players who have perspectives from other cities, is that they really do embrace their alumni here, which is oh, great for yeah. us with this show because that's what we're yeah. all about. Yeah.
3: There's, there's, I mean, always, I, I talked to my wife about this. If we ever, you know, left and we're moving somewhere else, my first choice is we're going back down to Miami. Is that
0: her first choice though?
3: <laughs> yeah. She, she's open to it. She's okay. definitely open to it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know, we'd we love to have you back in. I just know the,
3: my quality of life in Miami would be great. You know, every time I come back, people are so appreciative. The ups and the downs. Like I I truly feel like I'm like, I'm a lifetime Miami Dolphin.
0: You are. Would you, be, you moved today, not Broward though, I'm assuming.
3: It would be there. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, <laughs> It'd
0: be I it. So <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna tell a little story here, at Juice, and I, I'll see how much of this Ricky remembers. And and I've always wanted to ask you this. So 2004, June of 2004, I, I, 2004. That time period was a big time period for you, but it also was for me. And yeah. uh, and I think you know where I'm going with this. So June of 2004, yeah. JT offers me a job. I'd worked for the Dolphins for eight years and he offers me a job. He has this idea of starting a foundation 16 years later. It's crazy. I'm still uh, running the foundation, uh, and that vision has gotten us to where we are, but I took the job uh, before I could even get back to my seat. I asked Harvey if I could email everybody, and Harvey had already emailed the whole league and said he was looking for a new a new, bird. you know, so I didn't get a chance to tell my story, but I'm sure it doesn't surprise you, um, but I did want to tell the guys, and so I went to the locker room. There were certain guys that, uh, you know, at that point, guys were coming in and working out, and I think we might have had some sort of off-season camp, and so I I, uh, I I sat down with Ricky Juice and and I told him I said I was leaving and he goes wow and he said that's that's terrible he goes no, no it's great for you he said but it's he said it's not great for me and uh, and then we talked and then you, you asked me I don't know if you remember this conversation but you said why like why why are you leaving and I told you that my whole dream my whole life was to work for the Dolphins and I had achieved it and I had accomplished that dream and and now it was time for me to do something else and to spread my wings and to find that next thing. And I'll never feel any regret because I had achieved that dream. And you looked at me and like, you got it. Like that really clicked with you. And then like through two weeks later, you're calling me for Travis Miner's <laughs> phone number. And then you're texting me for Dave's phone number. And I'm like, so I've always wanted to talk to you. I mean, there's a lot of factors that led to you making the decision
1: that you made. And was that like, was
3: one I, of them. Yeah. yeah that I was carried one a little burden there. Yeah, you should. You should. It's your fault. <laughs> Seriously, Great. you know. And, and it it was one of those things where in life sometimes you have to make really difficult decisions. But I felt like leading up to my decision to retire, there are so many little hints, so many, so many conversations, so many things pushing me in that in that direction. And and you know, hearing you tell that story, <laughs> yes, it had a, it had a lot to do. <laughs> and I'm being serious. Great. It had a lot to do. It was just it was just another. Sign pushing me in that direction and, and it helped me realize that I did have a dream to accomplish certain things as a football player and I had accomplished those things and I was ready for to, for my life to get bigger and I was fortunate enough and, and as you were is that I got to come back in, in a year later and finish my career and, and and do all the things that I wanted to do and it all and it all
2: worked out for me. I don't know how to take it oh, man I'm so mad at you big Seth man I'm I'm so pissed <laughs> off man Damn. Yeah, thanks for fucking it up, Seth. Nah, I know. We said we were blaming the wrong person, our dub
0: <laughs> oh. I don't even have a jersey that people can burn, so I don't know what's going to happen in this podcast after this thing. But I'd always wonder, because when I said it, and, I, and like, you know, you, get, you see a look in somebody's eyes, like they really understand what you're telling them, and he's yeah. like, yeah. Like, I, I said, you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, I, I actually do know what you mean. And, and, but when he called me for t I didn't think when he called me for Travis's number, I didn't think anything of it. But then yeah. when you call me the next day for Dave, I was like, "Oh shit, this thing yeah. could be going sideways fast." What was that it, conversation like?
3: You know, I don't know if you want oh, the story, but what was I mean, how I, hard I, I, was you that? You know, it started off hard. And and uh, first before I tell you the story, I first time that I saw Dave since that conversation actually, or even before that conversation, was at the Super Bowl this past year. Yeah, I was um, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so and so the conversation started off as being difficult, but it got easy kind of fast you know and there there was a, i called him up and i said um i said hey coach you know I, I said uh i've been really feeling like it's time for me to do something different in my life and go a different direction and you know i, and I was out of the blue and again a couple of weeks before training camp so i'm sure he was, <laughs> so i'm sure he was like what the hell and you know You know, Dave is great, but he's not known for, for thinking quick on his feet all the time, you know? And so, so what he, what he said to me was, he said, if I were your father, I'd tell you something different. And at that moment, it got really easy because I lost respect for him, you know, is that, is that it was difficult. And I, and I don't blame him. It's difficult to put yourself in, to be a coach where there's implications that might cause you your job and actually seeing someone as a young man, as a human being. And, And I don't blame him, but you know, so I was like, all right. And the next conversation, so that conversation ended in, you know, at the end, he said, I, I respect you. I understand whatever you have to do. Um, but our next conversation was a couple of months later after I retired. I was in Australia and I got on the phone with him and Rick Spielman. And I was trying to explain to them um, my rationale and explain to them why I decided to retire. And one of the issues was I, I was in the midst of a contract negotiation and, you know, I'm naive. And I'll own that is I think if there's a player who's proven that they're willing to put their their guts, their heart on the line and play and you're going to give them the ball 400 times a year, that you should go out of your way to take care of that person. They shouldn't have to like beg you for 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 scraps. And so I, I told them in that second conversation, I said one of the reasons I retired is because I felt like you guys were doing a good job taking care of me and making me feel good about sacrificing my body mm. for the team. And I said I was a, a player that complained the least about anything on the team, and and I was hurt that they didn't understand. I can understand that I retired and you know the season was was kind of up in the air. But the the that they, that, I know, they <laughs> up in the air. It goes, shit! Yeah. yeah, that was that was rough. Yeah,
2: I'll tell you. Let me tell you about you know when I saw Dave and and Rick at the uh Super Bowl. Me and Dave and and a couple other guys already, and JT was already in there in the in the you know in the appearance that we were at, and somebody runs in there and they says, "Hey, Dave, you know, Ricky's here." And and Juan's like, oh, shit. Like, basically, that's <laughs> like, he was worried. He said, and and then he was like, but he's happy to see you. He said, really? Like, he's happy to see me? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's when those two had seen each other for the first time since that happened. And, you know, just hear those two talk, man, and hear them be able to hash that out a little bit. You know, you tell was like, no hard feelings. And, of course, Juan's, like Ricky said, Juan's was sitting there. Juan said that 63% of their offense retired on him two weeks before training camp. You know what I mean? So That's a hell of a number right there that he he regurgitated that fast. Four <laughs> on the line, you know what I mean? So yeah, it was, yeah. It was a rough one for him.
3: Yeah. Now so that was a, that was very healing for him because he he went out of his way to apologize and say, you know, I, he said, I realized the mistake that cost me my job was that I I I didn't respect the quarterback position enough. He and things that that were rumors he 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 admitted them. You know, he said. He said if Jay threw two incompletions or anything that would scare me of a pick, I would you know, get <laughs> on. That's right. The that's head right. and say, uh, uh-uh. run, 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 <laughs> run, Ricky, run. <laughs> <laughs> oh man,
2: <laughs> yeah. Man, so. so it was. It was great to see him. It was. It was great. Yeah. So, so needless to say, Rick, it was a uh, absolute chaos when you left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You left, Dave resigns, you know, the team goes four and 12 and, you know, we as fans were losing our damn minds, man. I could only imagine it. <laughs> yeah. when, when you were gone, did you, did you follow football at all after that? Or did you follow the team at all? And talk about that journey once you left and what it meant for you to be able to do that uh, because yeah. we were, we were hurting, but I, I think you might've been in a, a more of a peaceful place yourself.
3: I, I was, I was. Yeah. So, you know, my intent really after I retired was to get it,
2: far away from football as i possibly could
3: you know and because i realized that who i was to that at that point in my time had been almost a hundred percent you know based on me as a football player and i wanted to get a sense of who i was outside of that and so i went to a country where there was no you know people didn't watch football and i went to places where no one had any idea who i was and you know it was nice to get away but at, at the same time i also in some way started to to learn to appreciate the game on a, on a deeper level and to appreciate everything that the game of football had given, given me in my life. And I don't just mean financial resources. I mean, I I tell people this, I say, thinking about, you know, creating leaders, there's nothing like the training in college and professional football to prepare us to be leaders, you know, having to, to, to work as a team, having to get hit in the mouth and get up in 40 seconds and remember a play and execute again. It's, it just prepares you for life that we all get knocked down, but our ability to hop up and shake it off and go back at it again, nothing more valuable than that. And I, I appreciated Cause I, you know, it's funny I w- that year off I, I became a yoga instructor and I went to India and we had this intensive and four, uh, four week yoga training up at six, you know, meditate yoga four hours a day. And that and everyone was complaining about it. And I was like, you know what, this feels exactly like training camp. <laughs> I just realized how playing football really prepared me to do all the things that I want to do in life. That's what I learned. And so when I came back after that year off, I I approached football. I I was a better football player. I was a better person. I was a better teammate and I I was more appreciative of the, of the opportunity.
0: So talking about coming back and I'd mentioned it earlier that, you know, I'm going to go back to that, that hotel room on that balcony, where we were talking and the other big thing when you, not just that you would come back and everything else, but for what, you know, it was a major, major thing was, was your hair or lack thereof. Right. And, yeah. and it's wild now. Cause everybody, everybody, has, you know, there's so many guys with dreads, like it's, it's so commonplace, but nobody had them and you had been so identifiable with, and, and tied to your hair in so many ways. And, and we had talked about that. And, and I hope you'll share some of that with us here. But one of the things you said to me was that when you cut your hair, there was no mirror. There was no, you know, you were just—I don't know if it was a tent or wherever you were—and you just kind of cut it without looking, and and hadn't seen. It. You didn't even see yourself for maybe a week after or whatever that was. And just Ricky said that he literally got scared of his own shadow because he looked at. So, you
3: know, tell us about that because I
0: remember you, t- and I'll never forget that because that was so yeah. profound.
3: Wow. Yeah, that was that was an intense experience. <laughs> so I was I was in Australia and I uh, I bought a an old combi old Volkswagen uh, bus and when I when I bought it there was like there was a bed in the back and there was like a, a, a sink and there is a like a crate that had stuff in it and one of the things in the crate were a pair of scissors and so I was it was, was in the Blue Mountains right outside of Sydney in National Park. Who knows whose
0: damn scissors those were. Right? <laughs>
3: And I was taking pictures and I was taking, I was doing self-portraits and I was looking at myself and I just had this, was overcome by this need for a change, you know? Again, realized that I had been identified as something that I felt trapped in. And so I just got inspired and I ran up this mountain to where my car was parked. And I went in the back and got those scissors and started grabbing handfuls of dreads and cut, cut my, cut my hair. And it felt, it was very liberating. You know, and I was in Australia, so no one that saw me would have, would know. They'd just be like, there's just another black guy in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so I, I got in my car and I had a, a good friend of mine uh, named Jane, who was an athletic trainer in Texas, who I knew lived in Brisbane. And so I got in my car and I drove to Brisbane and, and I went to her house. And my hair looked horrible because it was scissors, so it was (laughs) And So so I went into her into her house, and she like looked at me, and she was like, "You look different." You You think? So the next day, I I got up and I went to Kmart. They have Kmart's in Australia, and I bought a pair of uh, clippers, and I finished finished the job. And it was trippy. It was trippy. I mean, I started growing dreads when I was 15 years old, and so this was the first time as an as an adult that I was. That I look different and, and even my profile or my shadow or the reflection in a, in a, the, a window, it scared me a little bit. Cause I didn't recognize the person I was looking at and just the the gravity of such a, a big change. And I'm glad I did it in another country and it gave me time to get used to it. Cause even, even a couple, you know, weeks later when I came back to Miami, like everyone, everyone's reaction for the first three months was like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> Not hey, it's great
0: to see you, it's just holy shit, look at your head.
3: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and you know, and in a way, again, this was right before this was right before I retired. In a way it was a wake up call to realize that I've been identified as something that I don't that I don't I feel like I'm growing out of. And I feel like I needed to cut my hair, I needed that year off to find myself. And again, I was lucky enough that, you know, when Nick Saban came in, he said, I, I want Ricky. So I had an opportunity to come back and write the ship and, and leave on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I, He's going to get it in there at some point, wasn't he?
2: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you say that because, you know, we've heard you talk about so much about how, you know, football, especially pro football, is regimented. And, you know, and Saban has a reputation, of course, of being you know, this ultimate taskmaster. So what was your relationship like with him, you know, and him bringing you back? I
3: I I mean he's one of my favorite people in the whole entire world. I know a lot of people wow. in in Miami have mixed feelings about him, but I, I, from a from a football perspective, you know, he didn't mess around. He knew he was so clear on what it took to be a champion and what it took to win, and that's all that he admitted. And to be around that it made it made me a better football player. I mean, it made me a better person. And there are certain things about Nick, I'm telling you, because I, I was suspended for the first four games of that, of that year. And so I thought I just would be chill, chilling for four weeks, you know? And he called me into his office and he said, you know, <laughs> he said, I think it would be a good idea if after the team finished practicing, you went out on the field and you had your own personal practice, you know? <laughs> wow. He had a way of asking you to do stuff where you just were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so every day after the guys finished practicing, I'd go out there with, with Ben and he would, he would give me, 40 carries, I catch 20 balls, run through the, you know, run through the cones. And I was, and I had to practice. And it got me right. It got me ready. And his his whole thing was if you
2: go out there and you bust your ass and you play smart, that's all I care about. And that, I, I could play for a coach like that any day. You know, Seth, I don't know how many times you got a chance to, if you got any chance to see Ricky practice, man. But Rick, Ricky, Ricky practiced like it was a game situation. You know, every time he touched a rock, he was scoring with it. You know, a lot of guys, you know, go 10, 15 yards. Rick's trying to get to the to the end zone every single time. And that's why you see him in games. You know, we're watching some of those clips behind Priest, and he's running away from DBs and, and waving at them. That was some of the funniest shit I ever seen, man. <laughs> it's like waving at some of these DBs and running away from them because that's how he worked, man. That's how he practiced, man. And that shit becomes contagious on a team, man. It was just uh, – it was it was fun to watch, and that's how he, that's how he approached the game.
0: Ronnie talked about it, and that's not this, this is not the Ronnie story that we're gonna. Get. Yeah,
2: I want to hear about this Ronnie story.
0: <laughs> we're gonna get to that Ronnie story in a minute, but the the one of the things that OJ just said where you would every carry even if it was, you know, I don't know the plays, but you would take everything 40, 50 yards, and and Ronnie said because that 05 was his rookie year, right, and and he was watching that. He's like, damn! I can't, you know. I, I'm first round pick. I thought I could chill, but I, Ricky ain't gonna let me <laughs> chill out here. You really had an impression upon him uh, in that in that setting there. But we're gonna get to yeah. that other story. Well, actually, you know what? So this is part of it. You had three different stints with the Dolphins, uh, essentially, and and a whole lot of coaches. Um, and, and you know, Nick was Nick had his own uh, departure, and, and that's another story for another show. But uh, under the next regime, 2008. Well, 2007. As much as it sucks to get injured, Lawrence Timmons might have done you a little bit of a favor. (laughs) (laughs) Too much a part of that shit show. But uh, in 2008, the the Wildcat was born. And and Ronnie kind of told us from his perspective of what that was like for you and him and Patrick Cobbs to sit in that running back room and have that thing drummed up. And so I, I would love to know from your side what that was like in that moment and why you didn't grab the quarterback position, and just kind of how that thing came to be.
3: Yeah, so um, I, first of all, um, David Lee came over from Arkansas, and with um, McFabin and Felix Jones, they ran it in Arkansas. They ran the Wildcat in Arkansas. And so we were, we were in the middle, we are in the beginning of, middle of training camp, and David Lee got up and introduced the Wildcat. And as he was introducing the Wildcat, I was sitting there and I was like, what is this high school shit? <laughs> you know, and, and I and I said, I'm the old guy, so I'm probably not even going to be on, in on this package. And so I just kind of like started to ignore it. And then he put it up on the board and he said that, Ricky, you're going to be the wildcat. You're going to be the guy going in motion. Then I was like, I guess I better pay attention. <laughs> and, and it was kind of one of those things where we just thought it's something that they put in and we kind of do it in practice, but we're not ever going to do it in a game. Um, and we had fun with it. And I think mean, what people don't realize is every single day that year, in our walkthrough we could you know half an hour we did wild all we did was wildcat. that's all we did every day and so we put a lot of time into it and we got really good at it and so we start the season and you know it doesn't start off well and we're going up to foxborough and we kind of have nothing and so that week they install they install the wildcat, and we're kind of excited because we've been working on it in practice and we're like we're going to see how this actually how it goes in real life and then we went up to foxborough and We ran it and the beautiful thing about that is the Patriots, you know, they're always so prepared, you know, and to see them like running into each other and being unprepared and yelling at each other on the sidelines, it was beautiful. And they, they didn't know what to do. And we just whooped up on them and that felt so good. But I, but like what you touched on, and I think is the most important part of it was, and it was also Lusaka was, was in on there too. So we had four, we had four running backs, four guys from our running back room on the field at the same time and it helped us grow really close and it's a good feeling when the the coaches put so much of the of the offense in one room and we loved it and it like i said it brought us all closer and we had a chance to make big impacts in a lot of in a lot of games
0: and and the patriots are the perfect team to put it against because you know as well as anybody that if it's on tape. They're going to be ready for it. And it hadn't been on tape. So it was like perfect, perfect moment. So the coaching genius behind that is pretty awesome as well.
3: Yeah. And the other thing was Ronnie and I split, we split time and Pete Cobb's a good football player, you know, amazing on special teams, but also he did a lot of wonderful things on offense. So it just gave us, it gave us all a chance to be on the field at the same time. And it,
2: I think it revitalized my career for sure. Wow. Ronnie also told us another story, man, <laughs> back in the day about a, a little trip to Bakersfield, California. He was on, when he was oh. the, doing a, a Joey Porter <laughs> football camp. Yeah, see, see where I'm going, Rick?
3: <laughs> oh my god, I just don't know how much of the story he told. But, but I, I will say it was that it was an experience like that where that Ronnie and I really grew close to each other. You know, a lot of times when you have two guys playing the same position and competing for for time and 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 carries, that it can it can turn into a lot of animosity. But we worked out together, we hung out together, we, we practiced hard together. And it was, you know, I consider Ronnie in all my, my time as a professional football player as being probably my, my best friend. And, and still to this day, you know, he made, he made doing something very difficult like playing football. He made it a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, he he said the same, I believe too. But he also said that you know you kind of passed out in the lobby, and he had to carry your big ass back to your room. And uh, and so you know, I I got the same situation. I got some kids, you know, and I know when we go on a long road trip, get out of the car, you know, they're sleeping. <laughs> I know they're not sleeping. They just want me to carry their ass. <laughs> Did you just want Ronnie to carry your big ass around the hotel? Man? Is that what? It was- I mean, I, I don't I don't drink very much, but when I drink, I
3: drink, and so. <laughs> I remember being in the car, and then I remember waking up the next morning.
0: <laughs> he tucked you in and everything. It sounds like you got he you. did.
3: Oh no, he just threw me. He just he just he opened the door and just pushed me into the room. You know, because I was like, <laughs> 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 "Hey, I we'll have to send
0: you the audio uh, of his side of the story."
3: I mean, he, he just opened the door and pushed me because I was I woke up I was on top of the ironing board, my clothes were <laughs> off. <on. laughs>
0: We'll we'll let you hear it from Ronnie himself, but it it sounded like (laughs) (laughs) walking around. He said he had you like fireman's carry (laughs) walking around, and the best part was he he didn't want to go back downstairs. So he's calling the guy at the you know he found one of those phones and he was calling. He's like, "Can you help me find Ricky's room? (laughs) This dude is heavy." (laughs) (laughs) That's what friends are for, huh? (laughs) I guess so. You know, it's funny you talk about how close friends you guys were. And I never thought about it, but you talked about the mentality that you have. Juice. have you ever met two guys who were more mild-mannered as human beings, but just nasty and physical in that running back position? It's kind of – that dichotomy
2: is crazy. Yes, nasty. The boys, man. They, you know, Ricky and Ronnie, man, it's like, you know – Bell Bib DeVoe, like, you know, them boys, man, they, they were filthy out there. And really, like Ricky talked about them splitting times and Pete Cobb's getting some, every once in a while getting an opportunity. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't prepare for both of those dudes, man. I mean, both of them ran with violence. You know, both of them ran with speed. I mean that was that was a hell of a combination. And I, I I've talked to Ricky a few times, man, and I've told Ricky and, and Ronnie could have you know, Ronnie would have been here maybe longer. You know, I might feel the same way about him being such a great running back. But Ricky's the best running back the Miami Dolphins has ever seen. And I've told Ricky that. There's now there's now I don't care what they say. Anybody can have their little, you know, the guys in the seventies. Ricky's the best running back the Dolphins have ever had. Period. Thank
3: you. Thank you. It means a lot.
2: It means a lot. That's that's the one thing. I'm not a person
3: that has a lot of regrets. But I do regret that I didn't finish my career in, in Miami. I think one more year I would have become the Miami Dolphins all-time leading rusher. And I and would have been – I mean, I'm not a huge stat guy, but that would have been significant for me to, to literally leave my mark on, on such a story that program. I think, Rick, I still for think
2: you've in you, man. I think you still have some carries in you. You want to come back and, and finish that out because, hey, Seth, I, I, I was telling you, I was playing in a, uh, in a little bit of a uh, – I guess it was a charity game. Where well, we're playing Wounded Warriors versus some NFL yeah. guys, and Rick was playing with the Wounded Warrior guys, and Rick was running hard as hell. <laughs> I'm like, this dude. I mean, I can't help it. I'm not grabbing that flag.
3: I'm <laughs> that, that switch just flips, huh, Ricky? I, I, I'm telling you, I was just when I went to the Pro Bowl. They're they, were, they were in the in the middle of the game. The defensive guys were telling me, "Stop running so hard. It's exhibition
0: <laughs> game." Only no one way. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, Juice, this has been kind of trippy. Like, I've never – I don't think we've had a guest that has segued us into each question. We I, I, we haven't sent Ricky the show notes, but, I mean, he brought up Nick Saban for the Nick Saban question. Ronnie, for, you have really teed us up for each one of these, so we appreciate that. Uh, of course. And, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. But, you know, you talk about not being a stat guy and being the Dolphins, All uh, you know, the, the how close you were to being the Dolphins' all-time leading rusher. We are now in a time period where you are seeing the running backs of your era either get nominated for or close to the Hall of Fame or or now are being inducted in. you know Edge now is, is going in. And if you look at stats across the board and, and again, you know stats are stats, and there's a lot of different ways to tell the story. But where do you where do you see yourself amongst those guys? Does the, is the Hall of Fame something you even – I hate to say you don't care because I don't want to make it sound callous, but is that something that you even concern yourself with? Do you feel that Ricky Williams belongs in the Hall of Fame? You know,
3: the, the, the moment I decided to retire in 2004, I gave up on my any Hall of Fame aspirations. And to even be – from that point on, even to be considered – and I think it was a big deal that I was able to rush for 10,000 yards in my career – in, in 11 seasons, especially considering one of those seasons is only six carries in a torn pack. Um, so I feel, I feel good and that's what's important. I feel good about what I, the, the work that I left on the field. You know, I feel really good about that. Whether it gets me a Hall of Fame or not, like that would be great. I think it'd be a testament, but I, I don't lose any sleep over it. You know, I imagine, you know, in 30 years when the, the, the new writers, the sports writers, are looking at old film, and they're like, "That William guy was pretty good. Maybe we should consider him." After everyone has kind of forgotten all the the, the more edgy parts of my story, <laughs> who knows? I, you know, but what I tell myself though, a lot of it I think will have to do with what I do with my life after football. Mm-hmm. I think if see. I make a name for myself, it, it's the best I can do to to make my case.
2: Well, I think uh, you know having Levitar in your corner is a, a good voice for you too. You know what I mean? Yeah. To talk about stuff on yeah, as long as you're not trying to get in the baseball hall of fame <laughs> <laughs> exactly right man but that that's that's good stuff man you know let's let's pretty much closing out man what a great great interview man and just seeing you rick and, and hear you talk man and and smile and enjoy you know where you're at right now but I mean, let's talk about where you're at a little bit more let's talk about leela a little bit what what is leela and talk a little bit about what you're doing your business endeavors
3: yeah so a whole nother element of when i retired in 2004 is that i traveled the world and i learned a whole bunch of interesting new things you know and one and so when i came back for my second and third stint um with the dolphins people don't know this but i'd be on the the team playing with my little computer getting everyone's birth information you know so i could look at their astrological chart and uh <laughs> I, it, it's been a it's been a passion of mine you know for 16 years now and uh, as I've had more time to really dive into it, I see that it can be very helpful to people. And, and I think one area of life where everyone can use a little bit of help is is relationships, whether that's meeting people or, or making relationships work. And uh, and I found that astrology can be very helpful. And so, you know, combining my experience with the help of one of my teachers and just modern technology right now and dating apps finding a way to combine the two to give people astrological insights to help them meet people and, and make relationships work. And it seems like more people, especially the younger generation, are really starting to get into astrology. Seems like the time is right. And so uh, I've been putting a lot of my energy and focus into, into getting this project. Up and going.
0: I'll hear from Ricky, you know, probably every year to 18 months juice. And, and, and I'll, I'll find out about the next project. You know, it was, there was a football league at one point. There was, you know, the football league is
3: football league. You know, what's funny about the football league is, is, you know, we had, we had two big competitors, you know, and both of them filed bankruptcy. And so it's really, and they've, they've done a lot of the hard work for us because they've, they've proved the concept and they've made mistakes that we, we can learn from. And so it's, Right. You know that act- that project actually is so it's still up going, music. yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Because
0: I, yeah, I look back at the text. I don't know if the number I have is still a good one, but I look back in the not. Text. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't banking on it. I wasn't <laughs> banking on it. We have to talk about oh, that. Oh my lord,
2: hey, Man, You know what else, Seth We have to talk about a little bit. Is like I would never thought in a million years that I would see our dub on like Celebrity Apprentice and Big Brother. What what went into that decision? Like What I mean, I, I loved it. I'm not a, I'm not an apprentice guy, but yeah, I lost your Big Brother, man, you killed it on Big Brother. I was that was yeah. Awesome.
3: yeah, two 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 different situations. The first one was an apprentice came up, and and I was really you know thinking about post football getting into the business, you know, and I felt like this would be a good opportunity to be able to to get a a, a quick you know course on on business and marketing. And, and it seemed like a good opportunity. So I, and an opportunity to raise money for a charity that I'm really passionate about. And I almost, I was so close. But, uh, Layla Ali, man. (laughs) Anyways, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when her last name is Ali, you, you you might want to take She knocked
3: me, she knocked me out. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, I don't even, don't get me started. But then uh, Big Brother came up and it was just one of those things where I've, I've only seen one episode of Big Brother ever. And I remember watching it on television and thinking to myself, I would never do anything like that ever. And so when they reached out to me and they, and they asked me, I had to like eat, you know, put my foot in my mouth and say, this seems very interesting. And it was just interesting enough that I said, I'm gonna give it a try. And it was totally out of character, you know, first of all, hanging out with celebrities, especially those kinds of celebrities and locked in a house like that for 30 days. But I, I had a blast and I was lucky cause that there are athletes in there and so, I got really close with Lolo Jones and, and I have to tell you, Tamar Braxton is the funniest, funniest person I have ever met in my whole wow. entire life. I, I wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for her. She is just so naturally funny that she had us laughing. Even when she was yelling at us, she had us laughing <laughs> the whole time. Oh my gosh, she is so funny. So I, I had a, I had a blast. I had a blast. Well,
0: we had a blast with you here today, man. I, I uh, we, we had wanted to get you on the show for some time and, and I'm, Really appreciative that that you said, you know, for the show's sake that you were willing to do this. But I don't know that we've spent this kind of time together in fifteen, sixteen years. So, so yeah, I it's been a while. This yeah. was great. I appreciate you, man.
3: Yeah, I mean, I could, I could go for another two hours and show. Hey, well, let's go, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. that means we'll just have to bring it back. Sequel. Yes. Yeah. Seriously, please, I'd love to come back.
2: It'd be yeah. great. Thanks for diving in, Rick. Man, we appreciate it, man. Of
3: course. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Salah, <laughs> You're now diving into the fish tank. Dive up in that fish tank. Who that? Uh. Sitting down with Seth, Living, Seth, OJ, true. Juice, Woo. Man, ooh, and This is strictly for them true fans, yeah. Dolphins. Number one. one, of course, y'all. This ain't no wow. ordinary sports talk. Dive up in that fish tank. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank Rocking with OJ and Seth when we dive up in that fish tank uh don't uh, uh, fans with attitude, we okay, gotta dive up, up for in them Celebrate big or cry hard Leave it all on the field, we gon' try hard Old school, a new school Mix it in. Feeling like we up close when we listening. Dolphins tell, in Miami is the deep end. We vibing with our favorite players, no secret. We get with Seth and McDuffie. Bringing up stories we never heard to the public. Bet we love it. Dolphins fans never budget. We loyal to the team, wasn't happy and we upset We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fins And if you ready for that water, time to dive in Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fins And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fins You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive, dive up in Up fish tank aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank. <laughs> Rapping with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank. Dog not feel so happy when you dive up in that pitch tank.